everyone. After a bit of a break, I'm back with a few more open and honest chats about the world of cricket and beyond. In this episode, we get an insight into the fascinating roller coaster ride that is Pakistani cricket. And we get it from the man who runs the whole thing. Pakistan Cricket Board Chief Executive Wazim Khan reveals how he had to deal with a lot of prejudice when he started the job. As being a British-born Pakistani, he was seen as an outsider. He also opens up on his relationship with the Prime Minister, the great Imran Khan, and has some interesting opinions on diversity within UK sport. Hope you enjoy it, and please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Waz, thanks for doing this. I think the last time I spoke to you and we recorded it, you were still the Chief Executive of Leicestershire County Cricket Club. So that must feel like a world away, both in time frame and in culture compared to your new job. Yeah, Matt, it's um, great, to, great to chat to you again. Yeah, it's probably been at least three or four years, I would say. Um, yeah, I moved out to Lahore about two and a half years ago. Uh, it's absolutely flown by. I finished at Leicestershire, I think it was uh, January 19. So, uh, yeah, started here in February uh, 19 and it's just uh, been one big whirlwind, I think. <laughs> Has it been far more intense than you could ever have imagined? Yeah, I think I was kind of told before I came to Pakistan that the political landscape is is pretty strong, pretty intense. And I think that um, Daniel, really, when I got to Pakistan and particularly with all the media attention, you know, you forget that a nation of 220 million people, cricket and politics are the, are the two main things and everybody's passionate. So everybody wants to discuss, you know, selections and discuss captains and players and where we're going with our cricket, you know, you go to buy some milk or whatever. And you kind of have to remind yourself that you're only administrator, but ultimately you're still an administrator and not a player, but you know, they still want to have those conversations with you because they see you as an important person within the game that, you know, can potentially influence various things. So they want to have a debate with you. So I found that scrutiny to be quite, quite tough. There's two cricket talk shows on every single night on terrestrial TV. Um, if there's a press conference, you're doing a press conference, they'll cut all the programmes across nine TV stations and go directly to the press conference. Right. That's the you know, daytime TV, you know. You know, you could be in the UK watching Loose Women and, you know, you wouldn't expect them to, <laughs> to suddenly go into an ECB press conference in the middle of the afternoon. So, but, but in Pakistan, they do. Um, and it's, um, it's a big thing. And I think that that was... The biggest thing I had to come to terms with, you know, a lot of the ex-players have got an opinion here as well. Um, you know, some good, some not so good. Um, you know, and similar with media, you get some really good ones and you get some very bad ones, you know, who actually just don't want to discuss cricket, but they're looking for every other angle to character assassinate and do all of those things. And I, I think it was a, a tough baptism for the first year as well. You know, it was, you know, riding that out and getting through that, you know, I'm pretty resilient and came through that. And once you actually start delivering, I think that's where people start to change their views. And I very quickly in my second year started to see a real sea change uh, of people's views. Um, you know, suddenly fans were getting after certain media people, you know, basically telling them to shut it and various other things. And I think that, that once people see that you're actually delivering, you're trying to work in an honest way, trying to do what's best by Pakistan cricket, I think people recognise that and doing things in a professional way. And Luckily, we've, we've managed to get quite a lot of stuff done in the last two and a bit years, which has helped. So that initial negativity that you got from the press and from some players, 
Was a lot of that, do you think, down to the fact that you were seen as an outsider? Because even though you are of Pakistani origin, obviously, you were born in the UK, brought up there. When you got to Pakistan, it, it wasn't like you were one of them or seen as one of them. Yeah, definitely, Matt. I think that was the biggest issue that I had was that I was seen as a British-born Pakistani rather than a, you know, from coming from within. And, you know, a lot of questions from some ex-players were being asked, you know, why are we bringing someone in from the outside? So in some ways, it was quite an odd um, prejudice or unconscious bias that I was facing, you know, because there was a lot of hostility around that from certain places. Uh, and people get influenced by the media. So a lot of things that people were writing and the media were writing, it was tough because and I think the big thing, their fear was that I had no idea about Pakistan culture, living in Pakistan. Um, what do I know about Pakistan cricket? All of those things. So that really is... It's almost xenophobia, isn't it? Really, if, if that happened over here, you know, we think of racism as being predominantly, you know, white people against uh, ethnic minorities. But there's, there's different forms of, of xenophobia. You can you can get it amongst your own people almost. Yeah, there's, there's you know, and also a lot of it's driven by jealousy as well. You know, there's fear, jealousy. There's a whole host of reasons why people have a certain mindset. Um, I mean, all I tried to do really, Matt, to be honest, was try and focus on my job, try and enjoy myself in terms of my apartment and various other things um, away from the office. Um, but, you know, I found so many good people. I mean, the great thing is the general public, the country itself is just an incredible country and the passion for the game is just remarkable. And actually, I've had nothing but, I would say, 95% of the time, positivity from fans who can see what I'm trying to do and can see the vision um, and the purpose of, of why we're trying to do certain things and where we're trying to go. And of kind of supporting that and saying, look, let the guy get on with the job. You know, he's, he's doing well, just, you know, let's get behind him and we'll try, really try and help move Pakistan cricket forward because a lot of the issues that Pakistan cricket was facing certainly didn't occur two years ago. You know, these have been sitting there for the last 15, 20 years and decaying without really being addressed. So a lot of the cracks were being papered, papered over and, and ultimately it comes to a head at some stage. And, you know, we weren't progressing, you know, suddenly in the last two years, it was a new phenomenon because we weren't winning series in Australia or we weren't winning in New Zealand or winning in England. You know, this is something that, you know, even with the best team in the 90s that we had, we were struggling to win in those countries, mm. you know, particularly Australia. So, you know, it's not something that, um, you know, has just happened, you know, a system you know, was failing. And that's the bottom line of it. And we needed to change it. And we had to take some radical, make some radical decisions and make some radical changes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to that in a moment, actually, in particular, I think you're talking there about the reform of, of the domestic structure in particular. Um, mm -hmm. But you've made some, some really big strides in general, you know, the, the return of international cricket to Pakistan, the development of the PSL, uh, lots of other stuff. England are touring in October, the first time in 16 years, I think, that England will have toured Pakistan. But are the real big ones, as far as the next steps are concerned, the potential full tours of Australia and England next year? Yeah, uh, definitely. Look, we've got New Zealand. I mean, South Africa came and, you know, played two test matches, three T20s in February and March. So getting those guys over... In the West Indies, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka have always been brilliant. They've always supported Pakistan cricket. But to get a country outside of those to come and tour and getting South Africa, 
knowing full well that we've got New Zealand coming in October, September, October, and these and um, England coming in Octo in October will beat for only a couple of games. But nevertheless, it's it's kind of breaking the ice and and, and taking that first step forward. Um, you now we've got Australia who are due to come and play three Test matches next February and March, which is incredible for us. And then England coming later in the year to to play Test matches as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I think you know a big eighteen months for us started you know about six months ago, and and now we're looking ahead to a lot of cricket. Um, as I say, New Zealand, England, West Indies, Australia, and then England again, and New Zealand coming at some stage again the back end of next year to play Test matches. It's a, it's a big year um, sort of for us and a big 18 months for Pakistan cricket. And, you know, white ball was sort of being played previously, Matt, in, from 2016, but teams were being paid to come and play in Pakistan, and people forget that. So getting red ball cricket, um, which I've always seen as a health check of any cricketing nation, full nation, um, to get test cricket, red ball cricket back was a huge achievement for us. And, you know, it's taken a lot of work by a lot of people to make that happen. One of those people, of course, is the Prime Minister. I want to talk to you about your relationship with him. Not many people will know this outside of Pakistan, but Imran Khan is the patron-in-chief of the Pakistan Cricket Board. How hands-on is he? Uh, not a lot, really. I think he's kind of got his hands full in many ways <laughs> with, with, with COVID and the country and inflation and everything else, I think. You know, but but ultimately, um, he's got a, probably a closer relationship with the chairman, with our chairman. They've known each other for a very, very long time. Um, and actually, I'd never met Imran before I'd started this job. Um, you know, and I've only met him a couple of times. Uh, very interesting. My first meeting uh, was about six weeks into the job, and we presented on the domestic structure because he always had this vision of reducing the teams from sixteen to six. And it's quite ironic, really, because I was at Leicestershire, and we were always constantly pushing for the eighteen teams. Uh, when people was talk about reducing the number of sides, so that was quite, quite an interesting one. Um, so the f the first meeting I went to, uh, we had to do a presentation on on how it would work, and he asked my opinion. He said, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, I said, look, based on the fact that Australia's got what twenty million people, six teams can probably work, but a nation of two hundred and twenty million people, then perhaps six teams isn't going to work. You know, you're reducing from sixteen to six reduce the opportunities, etc. So I kind of gave this whole spiel about why, um, you know, 10 teams potentially would be better than six. So he sat there, he listened, and he kind of pierces you with his eyes and he just stares at you. Um, and then after about 15, 20 minutes, he just turned around and said, I think we'll go with six. <laughs> and, that, and that was the end of the conversation. So that was my first interaction with him. And then I've just had to look a very brief one, but I know, you know, he's always got an opinion about, um, you know, the teams and captains and the type of cricket we're playing and he's constantly communicating with the chairman. But, you know, you can't but listen to him, um, you know, with who he is and what he's achieved in the game when he's got an opinion. As a former captain, you know that uh, he's got some real value to add. So we try and take on board what he says, but at the same time, you know, he doesn't interfere. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't tell us that you've got to do this or do that. You know, he'll provide some opinions and then it's up to us really whether we want to take those on board or not. It's interesting you mentioned the eyes there. I was thinking something very similar, actually, just putting myself in your position. He's such an intelligent guy, and, and he's so intimidating when you see him yeah. just in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you find I mean, that when you first met him? Did, did you feel yeah, a little bit intimidated? Yeah, you do. He walks into a room, and he's this colossal figure. Really is a colossal figure. And you just think, my God, he walks in, 
And you do, your first sort of things are, you do feel a little bit sort of intimidated. You know, he shakes you by the hands, you've got big hands, strong hands, and, you know, it's all part of that image about him. I'm sure if you speak to Athers about the three three part series that he did a few years back, he'll probably say exactly the same that you kind of sit and there's a real presence, there's an aura about the guy that just exuberates something special and, and bigger, you know, and, and, you know, you can see why he's got to where he's got to. He's had a very much a single mind. And you know, you've got to remember that he, he took it's taken 21 years to get to where he's got to in politics. You know, he's had the indignity of not winning any seats and, you know, not not getting any, you know, hardly any votes. And people were laughing at him when he when he for a long yeah. time when he was first involved in politics, saying, you know, he, he's a complete waste of time and he's a cricketer. What does he know? But, you know, he's proved everybody wrong. And, um, you know, you know, he's he's a man of principle in terms of how he operates. And that's something that a country like Pakistan absolutely needs. So with the domestic structure then, which has caused a bit of controversy, hasn't it? You, you receive some criticism for that. A lot of people would have lost their jobs, I guess, out of that. There are less players, yeah. less people in, involved yeah. in the structures. But that was actually, as you say, driven by Imran. So does he get criticised for that or was it just you? I think when it first happened, I think that um, obviously we get the blame. I think that with any national governing body, you very rarely are people going to slap you on the back and tell you you're doing a good job for anything. Um, there'll always be something else or, you know, whatever there might be. So, you know, but, but the criticism we got was, was absolutely huge. I think people behind the scenes, particularly media, knew that a lot of this was driven by the, by the Prime Minister's vision of six teams. But of course, the system, the social system is very different in Pakistan. And the fact that, you know, you don't have the welfare system that you do in the UK. So ultimately, a consequence of making decisions about reducing teams from 16 to 6 was that a lot of these players lost their jobs within departments. So, you know, the Pakistan International Airways, Pakistan Railways, these are all teams similar. You have similar things in India where a lot of the departments have sides within uh, domestic cricket. So we had a similar thing. So these guys, you know, were losing jobs. And our argument was also always that, look, you know, we understand that, but we're not an employment bureau. You know, we're here to make cricket better. We're a cricket board. I've been brought in to try and improve the standard and quality of cricket. And if the patron has a vision, our job is to implement that. Um, so it kind of some washed off with some people. Some just didn't want it because it didn't fit with their narrative uh, of wanting to bash. So, you know, that sort of continued for quite a while, but it seems to have quietened down now, sort of, sort of two years on. Another thing I wanted to talk about was... Uh, the possibility of Pakistan and India playing bilateral series again. That's obviously something that uh, comes up a lot for both yourself and, and Imran. What needs to happen for these two great rivals to play a bilateral series again? I think, um, I, I think you know, the Indian government's view has been very, very clear, you know, that they have a, a certain ideology through which they operate. Um, and unfortunately, the BCCI need to get permission um, from their government in order to play against Pakistan. You know, we've said from day one that, you know, we'd play India anywhere around the world if it was on a neutral venue, because I think fans on both sides want to see that. Um, but it's been pretty clear in terms of um, from the other side that it's perhaps not going to be as easy. Uh, and whilst this regime is still in, um, in power, uh, in India, it looks very, very unlikely for a, a period of time that 
you know, we'll be able to to open up the doors again to each other to play against each other. And you know, you know yourself, Matt. You know, I worked for Chance to Shine, which is all about you know breaking down barriers and getting um, you know getting people together. And I think that uh, as two countries um, that have been through so much against each other, you know, since partition back in 1947, that Cricket has always been the one force that has developed and created great friendships, great rivalry, great competition, but in a fair and equitable way and done in the right spirit with lots of good friendships off the field. And I think that everybody wants to to see that again, and I think fans on both sides, but unfortunately, I just can't see it happening for quite a period of time. And, you know, I just, when our media in Pakistan always ask me this question now, I just say, look, I've said it before numerous times, there's nothing more to add. I'm sure you'll be the first to find out if there is. It's just such a shame, isn't it? You know, just to hear your sort of relatively downbeat uh, demeanor there on the whole thing, it it just seems like such a real waste, doesn't it? Because I remember growing up in the Sky Studios covering India-Pakistan bilateral games. Those were the best games I ever worked on in some ways. Yeah, definitely. And And it saddens me to kind of not be able to sort of suddenly, you know, my eyes to open up bright and, and you know, be suddenly my energy levels to go up. Uh, because it, it is something that for quite a while we try to, we try to push and, 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 you know, we're willing to play India anywhere. But unfortunately, it is what it is. And, you know, uh, we've got so much more cricket to, to play against other countries. We're focusing on that. Uh, you know, we're not living for the fact that, oh, you know, will India agree to play us? I mean, we, we're standing on our own two feet financially, um, but it's just more sad for the fans, as I say, and the players themselves that they can't experience, you know, in India playing you know, in front of 100,000 uh, fans in Chennai or, Madrid, you know, in other places, you know, in Calcutta or in Bangalore or coming to Karachi or Lahore or Rawalpindi to, you know, and vice versa. You know, so it's it's a shame for the fans and others who are missing out who just want to see sport for what it is. Um, and that is to, to bring people together, uh, you know, have fierce rivalry on the field and lots of good friendships of it, off it. The PSL is obviously a big part of, of what you do as well, isn't it? And you're currently out in the UAE about to resume this particular tournament. It's been a success story, really. It, it seems like it's been developing in, in terms of the standard on the field and in reputation. Uh, but obviously this year you had a bit of an issue with this tournament. You had to postpone it because there was a COVID outbreak amongst the players. So how big a blow was that? How many, how many problems did it cause you? And what exactly happened? Yeah, look, we, we had, uh, interestingly, if you kind of cast your mind back to September, you know, we had domestic T20 competitions and, and domestic 50 over competitions going on. We also had our, all of our domestic cricket um, being held in Karachi because Karachi was probably the, the safest place at that stage with, with enough grounds to cater for six teams playing sort of week after week on three or four different grounds. So we, we, we successfully navigated our way, th- way through that and we had Zimbabwe as well. We also then had South Africa in February. And so we, we were going into the PSL, HBL PSL, you know, full of confidence that, you know, we've you know, we've, we've got the sort of the biosecure bubble sort of set up. We know how to run it now because we've done it domestically with multiple teams. Um, so we kind of then, it was a bit of a shock to us when, you know, we had one or two positive cases at the beginning. And I think in order for a, a bio bubble to work, you need all parties to be working together. 
and you need players to be disciplined, you need all of the stakeholders to be involved who are involved all working in the, in the same direction and working for the same goal. And unfortunately, you know, there were some errors from our side, there were some errors on the other sides around, you know, following through on certain protocols. Um, and once, of course, your one player is tested positive and that player is mixed with various other players, uh, then it becomes a real threat and a real risk. And, you know, when um, one of the players became positive, one of our international players uh, was positive, deemed to be positive, we then had two or three cases coming up with other team members. And then we kind of knew then every sort of second or third day we were testing, one or two new cases were coming up. And we got to the stage where we thought this is this is unsustainable for us because the longer we go on, you know, you've got players' health to think about and their well-being, which is more important than a game of cricket. Um, and then, you know, we consulted with the franchises and we made a decision to postpone it and try and find another date in the diary. It was gutting, to be honest with you, because you put so much work and effort into it and it was going so well up to a certain point. But then, unfortunately, that happened and we just had to, we had to make a quick decision on it. I've got a lot of sympathy. It's a, it's an absolute nightmare to try and arrange these kinds of things uh, during this situation. But if you could rewind to the start of the tournament, then well, what would you have changed? I think we probably would have had an outside agency coming to support us. So um, there's a company called Restrata who have supported uh, the IPL being played in, in the UAE. They've supported the, the T10 in Abu Dhabi. They worked with England last summer um, in terms of COVID protocols. So I think um, if we had our sort of way again, I would, I would definitely have gone down the route of bringing those guys in because you know, they're very professional. They've been there, they've done it. They could have helped us with the protocols. And so, you know, they would have helped us monitor. They, they certainly wouldn't have been able to help with any sort of major sort of breaches or infections. But what they would have done is just monitor the situation and alerted us to anything, any sort of untoward things that were going on with players going on to other floors and, you know, mixing with, with players from other teams. And there's those sorts of things were going on. And I think that ultimately was our downfall in the end and kind of learn our lesson. And we've got Restrata working with us over here in, in Abu Dhabi. We'll also have them working with us with our bilateral cricket against New Zealand and England later this year and the West Indies as well. Let's get back to your time at Leicestershire. You got that job in 2014. At the time, you were the first non-white chief executive of a British major sports club, I believe. That is an absolutely crazy statistic. Yeah, it was something that I was told um, by uh, people when I took over. I remember when I became a professional cricketer in England and they, uh, in 1990, and they were saying, you're the first British-born Pakistani to play or, or be offered a contract, which I wasn't aware of. You don't really think about those things at the time because I was only 19, you play cricket. But what had more of a profound impact at the age of sort of 40-odd that I was when I took over the Leicestershire job, to hear that statistic... Um, actually put things in, in order in many ways and made me just realize that, crikey, it's, it's probably a, a pioneering statistic that actually isn't a good one. Um, because, you know, to be the only BAME individual across any professional sporting club in the country as a CEO is, is pretty damning and pretty sad in many ways. So, um, you know, it was what it was. And, you know, if it's hopefully opened the doors for others to see me and do what I was doing, and then also want to emanate and do the same, then that can only be a positive thing. Times have changed a bit since then, particularly over the last couple of years, I suppose. But do you think we, we still have a long way to go to improve 
the standing of ethnic minorities at the, at the top of UK sport? Yeah, I, I think so. I think a lot more efforts being made, as you, as you say, Matt. I think over the last 12 months, there's some real action that's been taken, I think, across many, many sports that you kind of see and you can kind of see the change, you know, people coming into different positions, whether it's a board level, um, whether it's, you know, a, a, as coaches, as players, you know, into general more sports administration, you start to see a concerted effort. And I've always been, I've always believed that, you know, it's got to be a heart and mind thing rather than being forced into quotas and being forced into doing things. Um, you know, and I think I always remember an analogy I would use was when we, we, I was working for Chance to Shine, which is about trying to get cricket into schools. And at the time we were telling clubs that they couldn't be part of the program unless they set up girls sections. You know, and we had so many views of people coming out, why do we want a girls section? Um, and then once they actually set up the girls sections, the, everybody sort of said, crikey, I can't believe we've never had a girls section. You know, and it's, it's that sort of thing. And certainly people start to see the value of it. And that's the analogy I would use is that the more and more BAME individuals that you start to get and more better representation of the society you live in, the more different and diverse views you're going to get and more that's going to support your decision making, ultimately, because you come from a different angle and, and see things in perhaps in a slightly different lens than what perhaps other people do. But I still think there's a huge amount of work to do. I don't think we're there. But certainly, I think that sport in particular is is taking steps in the right direction in, in England. Yeah. So what could be the next steps, do you think, then? And we have the Rooney rule at the moment, which is where um, uh, they have to interview a certain number of people from black and ethnic minorities for a particular post. That doesn't guarantee that people get those positions, of course. So is that enough or do you think more needs to be done? I think firstly, on the Rooney rule, um, I think it's commendable that it's been brought in, but I'd love to see the statistics from individuals. So obviously BAME individuals are getting um, shortlisted based on criteria. Uh, you're not asking for any favors, but what you are saying is that, you know, they've still got to be able to match the criteria and skill sets that you're looking for, for somebody to do that job. I'd love to see um, how many over a 12 or 18 month period from the Rooney rules that have been brought in you know, how many have been interviewed and how many have actually been offered jobs? Because I think that the, the challenge you're always going to find is that uh, people will do it in order to comply. But, you know, until there are people, uh, individuals, men and women, from BAME backgrounds in positions of influence, I think nobody's really going to believe that rhetoric. And I think that, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. The more people you can get actually into positions of influence, not sort of marketing roles or, or other lower level roles. Roles. I'm not being disparaging towards those roles, but um, you know, any sort of um, higher up roles, CEO roles, MD roles, where people are in positions of influence, I think then you can start to believe that there's been some real sea change um, with all of this. And I'm, you know, I'm still hopeful that things will happen. I know that many organizations have the right intentions and want to do the right things because they believe in it, not because they believe they have to do it. So, you know, as long as that will is still there, I'm sure, you know, we will start to see a lot of change over the coming years. What's next for you then? Are you still loving this job with the PCB? What's going on with your contract? Yeah, well, look, I've got a contract until the end of January of next year, which sort of three years would have ended. Um, they're keen, they're sort of tabling um, a new three-year contract on the table for me and they, 
that want to start those discussions. Um, so look, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, Matt. Um, it's exhilarating, it's scary at times, but it's, um, it's never boring. And I think that um, it's probably symbolic of how people will probably describe cricket, you know, Pakistan cricket on the field over the number of years, you know, it just can be unbelievable one day and then you, you're facing real challenges the next day. But, you know, in terms of the roles I've always done, you know, whether it be Leicestershire, Chance to Shine or whether here, I'm, I'm driven by challenge and uh, I've been here over two years now, two and a bit years. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. We put a five year strategy in place about a year and a half ago. Uh, and there's a huge amount we want to achieve around that yet. And there's still a lot of unfinished finished business. Uh, I'm loving living in Lahore. Um, you know, it's it's great to work at the PCB. I feel still feel honoured and privileged to have been given that opportunity to run cricket in a cricket naze, you know, crazed nation of 220 million people. Um, but you know, it's it's a pressure and and the challenge that I really thrived on, and I'm continuing to thrive on. So is Pakistan your home now, or might you be back working in the UK one day? Well, look, you, you know, my family still live in the UK. They kind of came out um, to Pakistan for 10 months, but got two daughters, 14 and 11, but they just never really settled. And it's very difficult at that age, I think, to to move and, and ask, you know, kids to settle. So we made a decision to, for them to come back to, to Birmingham. Uh, we live in a place called Mosley, which is near Edgbaston, and come back and go back into their old schools and they're, they're happy. So it always places, I guess, its own challenges and pressures. Uh, working um, from a, a distance um, and so I think that um, you know coming back frequently back to the UK and, and them coming out to see me works um, but you know how long that can be sustainable for you know you don't know uh, but as it is at the moment and uh, like I say the job still feels fairly fresh to me even after two and a half years um, which probably tells me that I'm still enjoying it and there's new challenges every day which I'm getting stuck into so you know it's hard to say Matt you know um, you know, we'll see how the contract conversations go and then where that takes us. But, um, but certainly, um, you know, I guess the UK will always be home because that's where I've always been born and, born and brought up and born and bred. Uh, but it's all about opportunities. So right now, this is the best opportunity I have and I'm really loving it. Well, it's great to see you doing really well, Waz. Great to talk to you and have a fantastic PSL. The world will be watching. But yeah, thanks Matt and thanks uh, <laughs> thanks for inviting me on your show. Pleasure.